0: Maybe because he's Swiss, I don't know in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the
1: alphabet backwards? Well, I can rip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This, this
0: ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's Is
1: right. Wrestle Rant Radio. All right, welcome back, folks, to Wrestle Radio for September 22nd, 2015. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Big show on tap for you guys here today after the last few notable days in the world of wrestling. Night of Champions on Sunday, Raw on Monday, and a huge interview on today's show. Now, it's not relatively recent. It's back from March. I'll give the full story. We've got Chris Jericho. Yes, my conversation with Y2J himself. He returned on Sunday to the WWE at the Night of Champions pay-per-view. That interview will be on today's show. I'll get all into that in just a few minutes. But first and foremost, of course... While we're here on campus, here at Endicott College, we usually do go live, RJ and myself, every single Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time, cheap plug. Um, But last night, on Tuesday night, we had a power outage on campus, but that was not the reason, I mean, technically it was the reason, but... It, the power went off here on campus for some unexplained reason around 6.30, 7 or whatever. And it came back on right before 9.00. So we had the power to do the show. It's just that where we record the show in our radio room in our academic center here on campus, we couldn't get the key to get in. Um, the person who usually gives me the key to get in the room was not there because they left the building when the power went out. And when I called campus safety here on my college campus and they didn't come and open the door for us, even though I asked them to over the phone, so we couldn't do the show. But it ended up working out because, like I said, usually when we do live shows, I can't do interviews. I mean, sometimes RJ and I do interviews when we do the shows live. um, But if I tape an interview beforehand, I can't air it on the show because we're live and I don't really play um, recorded stuff more often than not. So it's actually a perfect opportunity. I thought I would take this opportunity. It's been in the works for a while now to air my interview with Chris Jericho back from March when I did an article uh, promoting his newest WWE DVD, Road is Jericho, out on DVD now, of course, um, promoting his new DVD for Hidden so I'll talk about that in just a second. Also here today, I'll be talking about Night of Champions from Sunday, Raw from last night, and also give my brief thoughts on the Eric Bischoff podcast, the interview he did with JBL on the WWE Network that aired immediately after Raw on Monday. So I'll get all into that in just a few minutes, but first and foremost, I'll be airing my interview with Chris Jericho, so here's the story behind it. I started writing for Hidden Remote in early July, July, uh, March. And they had asked me to come on board in like the first few days of March. I said, sure, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll definitely join the site. It was a pretty cool site. It's a great site. It's still right for them today. Um, but yeah, they asked me to join the site in like early March, March 5th, or whatever it was, or maybe a couple days before that. And no more than a week later, I got an email from one of my editors asking me if I wanted to do Me and another person, I got to Jericho first before he did. But they sent out an email to me and another writer who covers WWE for their website asking if we wanted to interview Chris Jericho to promote his new WWE DVD. And there was a whole press release from someone from the headquarters from their uh, – uh, from their marketing department, I have no idea, but it looked pretty official to me, and I'm like, absolutely. I mean, it was pretty mind boggling, pretty mind boggling to me. Hard to wrap my mind around it. I said, sure. Like, I sent an email pretty quickly. Um, I had to get to it quickly. I would, I would have regretted. I would have punched myself in the face if, um, if I couldn't get to that email, couldn't do the interview. So they got back to me. We set up the interview. They sent me Jericho's DVD literally overnight. The Road is Jericho DVD. It came out. Maybe that same week on that Tuesday, if not the week before. I can't recall exactly when it came out, but they sent me it overnight. I picked it up on Friday, made the questions. We sent the questions then on Saturday for him to answer. I had to take a few out. like I asked a few about CM Punk and, of course, might not be the best thing to ask considering WWE is not on the same. They're not on great terms with CM Punk right now, so that that would not have been a great question to ask. Um, But long story short, we got the questions in. I had to watch the DVD literally on my way home from college. I was on my way home for spring break that week and I was getting picked up on Friday and I had to get the questions in for Saturday morning or Friday night, whatever. And I watched the DVD on my way home. It takes about three hours from where I am in Massachusetts to get home to Connecticut. And I watched the DVD all Friday afternoon, all the, way, all the, the entire car ride home, got the questions in. We talked to Jericho on Monday, or I did did the interview, it was only about 10 minutes, initially they told me I had to get 15, but I was just happy to be able to talk to Jericho at all, of course, but um, he had so many other interviews that day, and it was funny too, because I guess we were going to do the interview at like 10.30 or something like that on that Monday morning, the day before St. Patrick's Day, I think it was, on 3.16, Austin 3.16, and um, we were going to do the interview at at around like 10.30 or whatever, and it never came, I never got the call, and I was really disappointed, because then they had emailed me telling me that jericho they couldn't find him he was on a trip and like in europe or something doing a tour with fozzy and they couldn't get a hold of him or whatever so they said they would reschedule um no more than 10 minutes later did they email me back again saying they got a hold of jericho can you do the interview at this time i said absolutely and again it worked out perfectly i was on spring break i wasn't in class so i was absolutely able to do it so we got that done did the interview with Jericho, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, great dude, very genuine guy. You'll, you'll be able to tell that from when the conversation that I have with him. Again, only 10 minutes, so I'll just air up the first 10 minutes of the show. And from there, we'll get into my talk um, about native of Champions, Raw, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in this interview, we talk all about his new WWE DVD, his feuds with... Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, Edge, some things that came to be, some things that haven't come to be, his heel run, which is kind of timely, which it is relevant, considering, like I said, he returned to the WWE on Sunday night, and also, um, it looks like he might be headed towards a heel turn, which is awesome, I've been, you know, I on Saturday, I watched the 2010 Night of Champions WWE DVD, or on the network, whatever. And I noted on Twitter how fucking great of a heel Chris Jericho was back in, you know, from 08 to when he turned back Babyface in 2012. Even when he came back in 2012, he was still a great heel. But his peak years were, like, from 08, specifically 08, but also in 09 and 2010 as well. And I noted on Twitter how how great he was on that show and his promos and everything else, the arrogance that he just shed off of his character. It was awesome. And um, it was, you know, no more than 20 ou- 24 hours later did he... Plant the seeds for a heel turn at Night of Champions. So anyway, um, back to the interview. Yeah, we talked about all about his WWE DVD, random feuds, matches that never came to be, some storylines or some people he wanted to work with, X-Pac, and a lot of other cool stories that you may not have heard anywhere else. Um, But of course, if you want to read the interview in text form, it's already up on the website at hiddenremote.com. You could search up and Google Chris Jericho interview, GSM, Hidden Remote, Road is Jericho, whatever, and I'm sure you'll be able to find something. Um, But that's basically the gist of it. That was the interview that I conducted with Chris Jericho back in March, and here it is. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, how's it going, Chris? Hey, man, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. So I just want to talk to you a little bit of WWE Fozzie fame, of course. Your new DVD, The Road is Jericho, is out right now. It's vastly different from your last DVD. Then it kind of dissects and delves deeper into your biggest matches, moments, as opposed to just kind of giving an overview of your career. Um, what were your thoughts on the final product? Uh, I love it. I think that um, I think that it's a great
0: idea to do something a little bit different from the normal DVD. Uh, I love the matches that, that I chose for it, the, uh, the diversity of them, a uh, mix of classics that people have seen, uh, all the way down to dark matches that I know for sure people have never seen, to uh, some matches that I think are kind of underrated, that forgotten and lost in the shuffle over the years. And then to tie it all together by just taking a ride down the highway and just talking about all the you know, trials and tribulations and, and funny stories behind the matches, that something you don't really see. If I was a fan, I would, I would love to uh, check this out.
1: So what went into the process of selecting these spotlighted matches for the DVD? Was it up to you? Was it up to WWE? And were you disappointed that any that, that any matches weren't able to make the cut? No, I
0: mean, those were all my, my decisions. I mean, they, uh, they, they kind of pointed me in, in, in a certain direction. like were about these ones and then I would see, like, for example, they had, you know, this match versus X-Pac and I'd be like, well, I remember having a cage match versus Xbox that I thought was much better. So, okay, we switch that around, or this, we need another WCW match in here, or I want to put something in here with Rey Mysterio, or, you know, whatever it may be. So that kind of went back and forth for a bit. But, but, yeah, the final selection is all mine. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's the way it should be. I mean, I could never allow them to pick all the matches because I know which ones have certain feelings for me and certain vibes and ones that I want people to see.
1: And also, too, what I thought was interesting about the DVD was that before you talked about them on your limo drive, um, you had not watched the matches beforehand, and you kind of reminisced about them before watching them back. So that's what I was thought was kind of interesting about it. Um, have you watched any of the matches back since that point, since you first filmed it? Well, the funny thing
0: is, it's come out since I've been overseas, so I've had a uh, a preview copy that I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I forgot it at home. So there's still some matches that I haven't seen on there, and I like that. I'm looking forward to being a surprise when I watch it too. Like, like I said in a couple other interviews, you know, the fact that if you would have asked me, have you ever been in a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin where Mick Foley was the test ref, I would have went, no. And then, lo and behold, I was, and it's on the DVD. So it's kind of funny how this, sometimes, you know, we do so many matches in such a short period of time, you forget sometimes, you know, some of the ones that are on there. And that's, you know, the honesty that I had for some of the, when we were going through the match listing I was like, I don't remember that one. Kind of candidness that fans appreciate that because I think a lot of times people think that we know every single match we ever had, every single match we
1: Exactly. That's what kind of separated your DVD from a lot of the others in that you didn't really, that, that match specifically, the one with Stone Cold Steve Austin awesome, was one that you did not recall at all. It's not like you said, oh, I remember that one. I, went, I remember when this went down, whatever. And you were very candid about that, like you said before, and that's what kind of separates your DVD from all the others. But at one point in the DVD, you mentioned your feud and matches with Edge. Um, you guys kind of crossed paths, you know, kind of a little bit along your runs in the WWE and your various stints. Um, did it ever bother you that you guys never really had that full-on feud and you guys ended up having that feud in 2010 I watched the match the other day at Wrestlemania 26 a great match do you feel like that feud kind of filled, uh, kind of lived up to your potential kind of lived up to your expectations well it could have lived up to the potential because I just got hurt so I mean mm-hmm. it's not like somebody was like ah you know they dropped the ball
0: or we went left and we should have went right I mean this is you know once again this is show business but it's, it's real uh, when it comes to injuries like that and we had a whole plan from, I believe it was from July all the way up to WrestleMania, and guess what? didn't happen because he got hurt. So, we went to Plan B, which was Jericho and Big Show, which led to some amazing moments and matches, and then when H came back at Royal Rumble, we, we took it up from there. So, it wasn't as monumental as it could have been, but it was still a damn good uh, feud, and it led to a pretty damn good match. So, you know, that's the thing about wrestling, and it's something that's one of Vince McMahon's favorite uh, you know, uh models. is like you, you you make the best of what you have. You know, you take a negative and turn it into a positive, and that's what we did. And I thought that uh, it worked out as well as it possibly could have, uh, as far as the build. And then the match was was, was tremendous, and that's why it was it was, a, it was a must have to include that one on there.
1: And another interesting thing they mentioned during the documentary portion is that you never had in your six stints as WWE World Heavyweight Champion, as WWE Champion, World Heavyweight Champion, whatever? Um, you never were a face; you were a heel during each of those runs. Do you regret not having a face yeah. run as World Champion, or do you feel like that role as the heel World Champion gonna fit you best?
0: No, I don't regret anything. Like I said, I mean, I'm very adamant and, and very candid saying about you know I was the George Harrison of the Attitude Era, and I don't mind saying that. And what I mean is that you know George Harrison was an amazing songwriter, amazing singer. Amazing performer and a huge star. His only problem was he was in a band with John Lennon and Paul McCartney. No matter what he does, can't outdo those guys. And it's the same with me with uh, with Rock and Austin. As a babyface, there's nothing I could do that would overtake the popularity of Rock and Austin. So I had to do the next best thing: turn heel and work with those guys. And that's why I was a heel champion six times because it was against. Rock and Austin for the first three, and they get Shawn Michaels and Undertaker for the other one. So it's pretty much, yeah, you know, when you're infused with those guys, it pretty much is what it is. So could I have been a great babyface champion? Absolutely. Was I uh, a great heel champion? Absolutely. Because, you know, to be a versatile performer and to have longevity in the business, you have to be able to fit into whatever role uh, is there for you to fill. And as a heel, that's what was needed of me. All six times that I was the world champion, and that's why I was the world champion six times. There were six times in the company that I was the top, most hated person in that company, and I take that as a badge of honor. You know, could I do it as a baby face? Of course I could. But that, that opportunity never, uh, never uh, presented itself. So it's not a regret at all. It's just that when I was needed um, to do a certain role, I did it, and, and I killed at it. So that, to me, uh, is a good thing.
1: And of the many matches, or of your many stints as World Heavyweight Champion, two of them came in 2008. Now, for me personally, getting into the product in 2008, I have many, many fond memories of your feud with Shawn Michaels, as many people do, obviously. But um, you talk about that on the DVD. You had your blow-off match on Monday Night Raw, aside from the No Mercy match, of course, in the latter match. That last-man-standing match on Raw in England, great match. Now, I was going to ask you, now, do you feel like the feud, with you going over as the heel, do you feel like that's something missing nowadays with the heel going over in the end instead of the whole, you know, conquering babyface hero? Yeah. And, and I, I talked a lot
0: with that, with Sean on my podcast about that, and that, you know, not always, watch a movie or if you watch, if you read a book, the good guy doesn't always win, you know, and that's one thing we loved about that feud is that Sean got his revenge when he beat the hell out of me before I won the title What he was crying, and it's like, you know, he was whipping me with the strap and uh, you know, crying his eyes out and, and Lawler had the great call, it's like you know, did Sean, is Sean really winning anything? You know, he still has to live with the fact that Jericho punched his wife and Jericho, you know, disrupted his life and yeah, he's beaten him up, but what does it matter at this point? You know, it's like Gladiator when Russell Crowe finally kills uh, the bad guy. It's like, well, what does he really gain? The bad guy's already killed his family, so it's like, all right, right, whatever. And I think that's kind of what the story with the jericho Michaels. is that even when it was over, even though he won, what did he really win? You know, and that's why I like that. Uh, it is something that you won't see too often, and you might never see it again because in this day and age, it's very much the good guy always has to win. And also, too... How many baby faces can you get away with that and still be super over? And Sean is one of those rare guys that, that can do that, you
1: know? And finally, so too. To, oh, I
0: was just going to say one more question, but it looks like you got it
1: wrapped up. Oh, yeah, sure. My final question for you would be, of course, um, you came back last June on Monday Night Raw. I was there in the building, the XL Center in Hartford, an amazing return because no one knew you were going to be there. Um, you ended up doing the feud with Bray Wyatt, your matches with Randy Orton, and Randy Orton was another guy that you never really got the chance to feud with. And at Night of Champions, you had that match, a great match. Do you feel like you were disappointed you weren't able to work Seth Rollins, and why didn't that feud with Orton come to fruition any sooner than it did? Well,
0: I'm never disappointed with anything because, like you said, I ended up with the best match that I ever had with Orton. And uh, I don't know, I think it's the same reason why I never worked with Ray Mysterio 2009. You know, I've known him since 1992, and we've worked a bit in in Japan and a few times in WWE, but in WWE, we've barely even touched. In like, man, Thanks
1: again to Chris Jericho for his time, to the guys at WWE, team the team guys at Henry for team the, team the team team opportunity, the amazing opportunity to be able to team interview team, one of my most inspirational idols of, team of team all time. Hope to meet him at some team point. Team so I know some cool people that have. Just going to Fozzie concerts and getting VIP tickets. Only if Fozzie came around this area. I know they do from time to time, they had a show you in the Boston area. Like around this time, about a year ago, and I just wasn't really all that into Fozzie at that time. I would love to go now, though, if they come back to this area and I keep on looking for tickets or when they're going to be back, whatever. But uh, anyway, great interview, great time talking to Jericho. Like I said earlier. If you want to check out the interview in text form, it's already up at hiddenremote.com. Absolutely the best way to cap I know, off your I mean, latest if, you thing if you just with go to w my w profile well, on that Chris, website. Thank you so, so much for the opportunity. Huge Matthews honor talking to you and best of luck Ramina. in all Ramina. your future endeavors and whatnot. I'm pretty sure it's under Graham Matthews. Um, Which a lot of people, by the way, do not know the difference of. Graham Ramina is my actual legitimate name, Matthews is what I use for everything. Essentially wrestling related. I mean, I love the surname Matthew so much, and I just started using that about five years ago or so. Um, uh, But yeah, I've always loved that surname. So a lot of people don't know... Which is the actual name? Like, what is my real last name? That is my real last name, Armina. but I never use that for anything wrestling related. Not for any, like, privacy or anything like that. I don't give a shit. It's just more about, um. I don't know, I just like the surname of Matthews. <laughs> so, for anyone that's wondering, because I know I've had a lot of people that have asked me that before. Even people that I know in reality, like RJ for a while, never knew my legitimate last name was um, Armina, not Matthews. But anyway, I um, just wanted to throw that out there. But regardless, if you want to check out the interview, it's up at hiddenremote.com. Search it into the Google machine. Just type in Hidden Remote, Y2J interview, Chris Jericho interview, Rhodes Jericho, Graham Matthews, blah, 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 blah. It should come up. It's about for March. So if you go to my profile on that website, you got to do some scrolling, but it is up there. So nevertheless, Jericho is back in WWE. That's a perfect segue into Night of Champions. That's where he returned on Sunday night in a very good six-man tag team match with the Wyatt family alongside Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. We'll get into Night of Champions in just a minute to address this week's WrestleRent Radio guest. Um, Jay Letta was going to be with us on Tuesday night, of course, due to the power outage and not being able to go live. He couldn't join us, but he will be back on next week's episode making his WrestleRent Radio debut. The owner of PW Powerhouse, great friend of mine, known him for years, met him for the first time actually in person over SummerSlam weekend, so it's great being able to talk to him over SummerSlam weekend about a month ago, which was a month ago today from when I'm recording this on the 23rd, so time flies, but um, anyway, he'll be on next week's show, but today I'm just flying solo reviewing Night of Champions and Raw, but before we get into that stuff, I do you want to give my brief thoughts on the Eric Bischoff podcast from uh, after Monday, uh, after Raw on Monday night on the WWE Network, I thought it was very good, not, like, the most amazing interview that I've ever seen. And while watching it, it kind of occurred to me, like, why didn't they put him on the Austin podcast? Like, that would be entertaining. I know JBL, he is very good in the reporter role. Not a huge fan of his most recent commentaries. I'm sure many people aren't as well. Um, but he is very good at being a reporter and interviewer. So if he continues to do this, and I'm sure he will. They showed clips of future interviews with uh, Ron Simmons and uh, Road Dogg, I believe. They will continue to... Uh, have guests on JBL's show, and this was also very good, but then again, JBL mentioned during the course of his interview with Eric, or with Bischoff, that uh, he he had referred to Austin's podcasts with um, Bischoff about a year or so ago, I'm pretty sure, it was a while ago, they did about, I want to say about an April or May, because I was in, in April or May, and I was still a freshman in college at that period of time, so it must have been like mid-2014, if not before that. Um, Bischoff was on Austin's podcast, just shooting the shit about a bunch of things. They did like a, por- uh, a four-part podcast on Austin's show about a year and a half ago. So maybe they ran out of material to talk about. Then again, Paul Heyman has been on Stone Cold show uh, many a times over the last several years. So I'm sure they you know, they had him also on the podcast network. So they probably could do it again if they wanted to. But nevertheless, just a small gripe. And speaking of the Austin podcast, he will be having Brock Lesnar on his show Next month, which I'll be talking about when we get into my Net of Champions review or right before it anyway. But as far as this interview goes, I thought it was very good. I enjoyed it. Learned some things that I didn't know. You know, most of it was kind of rehashed from the Monday Net War show that we watched on the network last year around this time last year, which I also thought was uh, also thought was very, very good. But Bischoff, I've always always been a fan of his. I mean, he always comes off like such a dick sometimes, or at least he did during his WCW days. And even when he was a GM of Raw, that's why he was such a great on-air authority figure. That's why he was such a great on-air personality, because he came off like such a heel. Hence why I would love to see him back in WWE one more time for like a one-off. I mean, I think the last WWE appearance he made, other than this one interview, of course— was at the fifteenth anniversary show back in late 7 seven. I'm pretty sure he had some segment with Jericho, or I'm pretty sure it was Jericho. It was with Jericho, and Jericho laid him out with the Codebreaker. Because you remember, it was Bischoff who fired Jericho back in L five. So some great storyline consistency there. And that was eight years ago. So it's been a while since we last saw Bischoff on Raw. Um, great to see him back in this setting, though. So yeah, they had a good conversation. JBL could have been ele- i I'm, I'm not even saying he's biased. It's not like he was a WCW guy at any point. Um, but it just kind of came off like a friendly conversation which was great I mean that's a lot of what Austin's and Jericho's podcasts are even Jim Ross's podcast they all they're all kind of conversations between friends and he also asked good questions too just kind of the approach he took to asking some of those questions like why weren't you in charge of um, Time Warner with you know, one of the greatest turnarounds in financial history I mean like why wasn't he in charge of Time Warner like and he was asking it seriously too so that was I mean like I, I really, I, you really think Eric Bischoff's going to be in charge of the Time Warner, despite the incredible turnaround he had with WCW? At the end of the day, he owned a wrestling company. It was no, an incredible, huge organization. It was WCW, not even what WWE is to this day. So that was kind of a dumb question. Everything else, though, I thought was very, very good. Had a lot of good chemistry there. The time flew by 50 minutes, and it just absolutely flew by. Um, part one is a little softer than part two will be when they talk about, I'm sure. The fall of uh, of WCW, his heat with Jeff Jarrett, Vince Russo. Looking forward to you know listening to all of that on part two, which should be up tomorrow on Thursday. So be sure to check out that on the WWE network. I'm sure that should be even better than this one. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was very good. They had a lot. They asked a lot of serious questions in regards in regards to um, Jim Ross and him getting fired, Stone Cold getting fired from WCW and I mean really nothing earth shattering I mean if you miss it you're not really missing much because a lot of this was talked about like I said earlier in the Monday Night War show he's talked about it in his book he talked about in Austin's podcast last year um so a lot of it is some some information that we have heard before but it's cool I mean I think it's worth watching if only just to see Bischoff back in a WWE program for the first time in almost a decade. So hopefully this is not the last we see of Eric Bischoff in WWE and we see him back on Raw at some point, if only for a one-off in the near future. So transitioning from that to Night of Champions on Sunday. On the whole, I thought it was a pretty good show. I enjoyed Night of Champions, maybe even more so than SummerSlam. Um, And I'm kind of taking myself out of the equation because I was at SummerSlam Live, of course, but you know, watching on the WWE network, I thought Night of Champions was better than SummerSlam, and part of that might have been because SummerSlam was a four-hour show. Like Raw is a three-hour show; three hours is too long for Raw, four hours is too long for SummerSlam. I know it's the WrestleMania of the summer, and it did kind of deserve it, but it felt like the length was was kind of a um I don't know for WrestleMania it works, SummerSlam not so much because you don't have the musical acts and you don't have the elaborate entrances and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, I thought this was a very, very good show. But before we get into Night of Champions, though, I thought I would mention this. I talked about it on hashtag AskGSM and a few other forums as well. But it was announced during the course of this pay per view. Might as well address this um, out in, you know first and foremost that Brock Lesnar will be having a Go To Hell tour next month in the month of October. I think UFC patented it. I've seen it on Twitter, people calling it Brocktober, which is pretty clever, I might admit. Um, but yeah, I think it might be patented by UFC, hence why they're not using it. But anyway, though, um, yeah, the entire month of October will be dedicated to Brock Lesnar, starting with his MSG special on the first Saturday of October. I want to say it's October 3rd, um, emanating from the Madison, uh, emanating live for Madison Square Garden, airing live on the WWE Network. He will be facing Big Show. whoop you do? I mean, it's a great attraction to have Brock Lesnar at the show. Hopefully just squash his Big Show. I don't know why it has to be a big show and it can't be like someone that he's never faced before. Like a Kofi Kingston, like we saw in Japan, but it can't be fucking, you know, Cesaro or even a Miz or something, you know? Like that would be entertaining. Why does it have to be a Big Show? I digress. So he's having that match on October 3rd in MSG on the WWE Network. Um immediately following Raw on the Monday before Hell in the Cell, so I want to say the 19th, I think it is, October 19th. Um, it is the 19th. Yeah, on October 19th, he will be having Brock Lesnar. Stone Cold Steve Austin will be having Brock Lesnar on his podcast. That should be very interesting. Hopefully they can talk about you know the the planting of the seeds for a dream match at WrestleMania 32, which is not happening. I'm not on that bandwagon. I mean, I would love to see it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not one of those people that will tell you that it's going to be happening at WrestleMania. Bank on it. It was done for a reason. Even Austin talked about it in other podcasts that he did um, following the the podcast that he did with Heyman, he did, he talked about it in his own podcast and podcast one, where he said he shouldn't have said that. He got an, he got an earful from uh, Vince immediately afterwards, saying, "Why would you say that? If that's not going to happen. Don't get people's hopes up. <clears throat> Don't get people's hopes up." So uh, I'm sure that match has not happened. But anyway, it should be really interesting to see those two sit down, talk face-to-face, and maybe even discuss what, you know, led to Austin leaving the company the first time in 2002 when he refused to do the job, as he says, to Brock Lesnar on an episode of Raw in 2002, left the company for almost a year and came back, and the match between them never came to fruition. But they did have a few confrontations in early 2004 when Brock Lesnar and uh, Goldberg were having their match at WrestleMania and Austin was the special guest referee for that match. Maybe they could talk about that. There's a lot of potential topics we could, they they can kind of delve into um, when Austin interviews him for his podcast. And Brock Lesnar is not known for being a great talker. He's not a great promo. I should specify that. He is not a great promo. But when you watch him in outside interviews with like ESPN and just other mainstream outlets and stuff, he's actually very good. He's pretty funny. I saw some video. I'm sure other people have seen it too. It was. Phenomenal. It was a priceless video. It was a video of him at ESPN headquarters, and he was sitting in the security booth, and people were coming in like, oh, that's Brock Lesnar, and if they didn't recognize who it was, they just saw this monster of a man sitting in the security booth. It was pretty entertaining. He has some great charisma that you don't really always see on WWE TV, and you don't need to. That guy's a total ass-kicker. But anyway, um, the podcast between Austin and Lesnar should be great. Very much looking forward to that on, like I said, October 19th, I want to say. Um, October nineteenth, and then that Sunday he returns to WWE Pay Per View when he takes on the Undertaker inside Hell in a Cell. Now this was an idea I threw out immediately following SummerSlam. I was not as pissed with the finish to the match at SummerSlam as a lot of people were. I talked about that before. I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. It left people wanting to see a third match. I mean, initially before SummerSlam, I didn't want to. I didn't want a third match. The match at WrestleMania. 30 was awful. That was a fucking train wreck of a match. One of the worst Undertaker matches I've seen in a very long time. The rematch, however, you know, after seeing the rematch at SummerSlam, these guys can go. When Undertaker's not concussed and neither of these guys are injured, they can go and have a great fucking match. And they had a great match at, now at uh, Night of Champions, in the main event of SummerSlam last month. And now, I mean, a third match had to be done with the. Bullshit finish that we got at the end of the SummerSlam. Again, I say bullshit not that I'm mad at it, but more that it was just kind of a fluke finish, a fuck finish. And um, a third match was in order. So I was not as mad at the fact that they were going to do that finish as much as I was that they were going to save it for WrestleMania. Now, in the weeks leading up to SummerSlam, Paul Heyman said... It's the match too big for WrestleMania. The rematch that's too big for WrestleMania. Too big for WrestleMania. Then why would you hold the third rubber match at WrestleMania? Like, it made no sense. And I understand maybe they wanted Undertaker to go out on a high note in his home state of Texas against Lesnar and winning. Maybe he can still win a Hell in a Cell. I would hope not. I would want Brock Lesnar to win that match. But you never know. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, they're not in... They're going to be in Los Angeles. So it's not like it's in Lesnar's hometown or uh, Taker's hometown or whatever. But whatever they want to do... Um, I'm glad they're not waiting. They're not, you know. I'll I'll say it: they're not wasting it for WrestleMania. Um, It's a big match. I'm sure it would, you know. It's a huge get for WrestleMania, regardless from a financial standpoint. But we've already seen it. We've seen it twice before. That didn't stop them from doing twice in a lifetime with Rock and uh, John Cena a couple years ago. It didn't stop them from doing Brock Lesnar and Triple H the rematch at WrestleMania 29 a couple years ago. (laughs) The same WrestleMania, one of the worst WrestleManias in recent history, might I add. Um, but I'm glad they're saving it for, instead, for Hell in a Cell. It's a huge get for a B-level pay-per-view. And inside Hell in a Cell. I mean, there's no better match to blow out that feud than inside um, the Devil's Playground. Because, first of all, that's where they had a great match back in 2002. They had um, one of Brock Lesnar's first title defenses as WWE Champion was inside Hell in a Cell against The Undertaker. I think it was in No Mercy 2002. And an amazing match. One of the best Cell matches of all time. Total bloodbath. Lesnar goes over strong. He even takes a beating. Lesnar, our Undertaker, looks good in defeat. It was a very, very good match, an excellent match, and I'm glad they're going to be going back to that um, come the 25th of October at Hell in a Cell. Now, I don't imagine their, their next match against each other will be as good as that first Cell match, but it's perfect. It's perfect for the feud because it ensures there will be no disqualification, no countouts, no bullshit, hopefully no interference. I mean, we've seen interference in Cell matches before, Um, Take last year and the last couple of years as an example, but it ensures that at least we will get a clean finish, hopefully, of some sort at at Hell in a Cell, and I'm glad to see they're going to be—it was either Hell in a Cell or Survivor Series that could not have waited for WrestleMania, and and even Lesnar said himself the night after SummerSlam, Heyman wanted Lesnar's rematch right then and there. They were not waiting until fucking— WrestleMania, you know, we want it. We don't want to wait until a Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania or Royal Rumble or not even that of champions. We're doing it tonight. Bo Dallas came out instead. Destroyed Bo Dallas. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's really cool. They're going to be doing it there instead of WrestleMania because now it opens up both guys for potential matches at Mania. Maybe Lesnar can go back after the title. Taker can face Sting. Maybe I'm not counting on it, but it's always a possibility. I'll keep on, you know, I'll keep on. Uh, proposing that match until either guy retire. Then I'll stop um, hoping for a match between those two. And we'll talk all about staying in a couple minutes when we get to the main event of Night of Champions. Um, But yeah, that is that. Kind of a weird way of announcing the match. I understand kind of making it uh, official for your network subscribers. Like, oh, oh, that's a huge get for the next pay-per-view. I'll be sure to uh, watch the next pay-per-view now, now that I know Taker and Lesnar will be on it. So that's a great business strategy. But I also expected for, you know, for Heyman to come out on Raw this week or the next week or whatever – if they were going to do it at Hell in a Cell, for him to say, We want the rematch at Hell in a Cell and kind of announce it that way and have a huge announcement, a huge um, huge pop for that announcement on Raw. But the way they did it, can't complain. It was a smart business strategy with them um, announcing it for their network subscribers. And I'm looking forward to it. The entire month of October, that is also for uh, Brocktober or the Go to Hell, the Go to Hell tour, as they're calling it. So on to Night of Champions. I don't know if I'll review every match or at least not in depth. Um, we're already halfway through here, almost at 30 minutes. Um, Raw wasn't anything really that special, so maybe we'll spend more time on Net of Champions than we will of Raw. Uh, but Net of Champions, I thought, was a very, very good show. Um, I thought over, you know, top to bottom, I thought every match, one way or another, entertained me. The results were right, um, so I can't really complain. I could see why some people didn't like it. There were some weird booking decisions and some weird happenings, Sting getting injured, and a few other things as well. But on the whole, though, I thought it was a um, pretty solid show, and we'll break it down right now. On the first match tonight on the kickoff show, we got Stardust and the Ascension going over Nibble and the Lucha Dragons. It was, it was a fun match. I thought it was a lot better than the rematch on Raw, which had a lot of botches and stuff, um, which doesn't always hinder a match. But it wasn't that really good of a match. anyway. kind of a repeat from the night before, so therefore not a great match. But um, it was fun for what it was. It just bothers me, and we talked all about this, so I won't really go on a on a tirade about it. We kind of went more in depth about it last week on the on the show that Neville's kind of just directionless right now. I understand maybe like a Bo Dallas, who's also a former NXT champion, but Bo Dallas doesn't have the potential to be, in my opinion anyway, or at least not right now. Um, He's a glorified comedy character. Neville, on the other hand, is an amazing in-ring athlete. A lot better of a worker than Bo Dallas. He's over. People like him. He's got a great finisher. But like I said to RJ last week, he just kind of reminds me of this of like the new version of Evan Bourne I think he's a lot more talented than Evan Bourne But in the way that I'm saying that The reason why I'm saying that Is because just based off how WWE is booking him As like this guy who has cool flippity doo moves And that's it We know nothing else about his character He's a great wrestler He can be always counted on for an amazing performance As we saw in his WWE title match With Seth Rollins a couple months ago but they'll never, it looks like anyway, or at least for right now, never, never, Neville, um, never, never, never push Neville, there we go, um, towards mid-card status as a mid-card champion, as Intercontinental Champion, United States Champion, or whatever. Because maybe they don't have enough faith in his mic ability, which I think has improved immensely since NXT, which was fucking atrocious a year and a half ago. Um, two years ago, his mic skills were awful, but he's improved a lot. Um, not saying he's like Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock and the Mike, but he's come a long way <clears throat> for him, for Neville, um, speaking by his standards. But yeah, a good match. It just bothers me they don't have more for these six guys to do. Um, I like the trio of Stardust and The Ascension, the comic wasteland as they're calling it. I like um, <clears throat> the pairing of Neville and the Lucha Dragons also kind of having that NXT flavor to it. And Stardust is another one. I feel like he's done the best work possible he can with the Stardust character. And I've always been a huge detractor, I guess is the word. I don't want to use the word hater. I feel like it's so stupid. Um, I've never been a huge fan of the Stardust character. I've always said, bring back Cody Rhodes. But to his credit, he's done a very good job of making this character interesting, making me care about it, and putting all of his effort into this one persona and making it as entertaining as can be. And it just kind of relegates them to the pre show. So hopefully both guys can move forward out of this feud and do something else because they have been feeding the last like two or three months now. And I'm, I'm waiting for both guys to kind of move on to something new. So, in the matches and the night's opening match, we had for the Intercontinental Championship, Ryback defending the IC title against Kevin Owens. Uh, pretty good match. I thought it was one of Ryback's better matches, not one of Kevin Owens' better matches, but. When you're working with someone like Ryback, um, he is very limited in the ring, but he got the best matches as he could out of him possible. And I thought they put forth a pretty decent performance. But, of course, Kevin Owens, the best part of the match, winning the Intercontinental Championship. I thought they put forth a very solid matchup. In the end, Kevin Owens raking the eyes of the big guy following up with the roll-up for the win in his first ever Intercontinental Championship. Best move they could have done. Huge Ryback fan, glad he got a pretty decent reign as Intercontinental Champion. He's been champion for almost four months, Ryback that is. He won the belt on May 31st, so almost four months ago. He got a good reign out of it. Glad to see him. He finally got something he deserved. But now it's time to move on to the next challenger, move on to the next face that can bring bring the Intercontinental Championship back to the level it once was at. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying there's a chance he could. And the reason I say that is because WWE has done this Time and time and time and time and time again. You don't need, you don't need me to tell you that. I mean, look at the past few champions that we've had, and I've ranted on about this a million times before. But you look at the Miz, Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, a guy that a lot of people thought would do a lot of good for that IC title, and he did for a time. But because they booked him so fucking poorly, it did nothing for the belt. The belt was back to being meaningless. You know, being you know, being rendered irrelevant, and it was back to being just not even a stepping stone, just a just a a prop. And, um, you know, Ryback, for all the shit that people have given him as Intercontinental Champion, oh, he's not a great champion, he never defends the belt. At least he didn't lose. I mean, there is that argument to it. At least he did not lose singles matches every single week. I can hardly remember one or two matches he lost as Intercontinental Champion. Um, Maybe one or two. Other than that, though, he was booked pretty well as IC Champion, so at least he wasn't booked as garbage like some other of the other champions. Uh, (coughs) Wade Barrett. But not his fault. Just creative for just shitting all over these guys. But Kevin Owens, I feel like, is the best possible choice for Intercontinental Champion right now. Just think of all the potential matches he can have with guys like Sami Zayn when he comes back, Daniel Bryan when he comes back, um, Cesaro, Neville, all these other guys in the roster right now that are not doing anything. Put them in a feud with Kevin Owens over the Intercontinental Championship. Have a decent feud with them. Have a great match. Get a great match out of it and you move Kevin Owens forward as the Intercontinental Champion. I feel like that'd be the best possible way to book him at the moment, um, because I feel like he has all the tools in the world to be a top-tier player in WWE. They kind of derailed his momentum, when I say kind of, I mean, they absolutely did, when they had him tap out to John Cena the Battleground to kind of knock him down a few pegs. I thought that was bullshit, but anyway, at least he won against Cesaro at SummerSlam. He beat Cesaro again in a rematch. He's been booked pretty well, I think we can admit. He's not... On superstars every week, he's on main event, but you know, that's just because he's picking up a few wins here and there. It's not the end of your career. If you're on superstars every week, that's almost the end of your career that a lot of people look at it as. Um, but Kevin Owens as intercontinental champion, I love it. A lot of great challengers lined up for him. And like I said earlier, maybe he can hold that belt until WrestleMania, defend against the returning Sami Zayn. And Zayn can finally get his big win over Kevin Owens and in the process of winning the intercontinental championship. Hashtag book that. So after that on the show we had Dolph Ziggler versus Rusev I believe um, yes we did we, that was a pretty good match I enjoyed it it was well wrestled easily the best bout these two have ever had um, just because the one at SummerSlam kind of fell flat the one on Raw not as good this one was pretty good the crowd was almost into it it's just because this th- it's just because this feud sucks um, no one wants to see this feud continue it's run its course I don't want to see it continue. It's just, what is it even over at this point? Lana's gone, Summer Rae's a bitch, Ziggler may be flirting with her, he may not be flirting with her, and Rusev's just a whining, crying bitch. So why do I care? Why should I care about this feud? I mean, I hate to keep on ranting about it, but I'll keep on ranting about it until they end it. And it looks like it's not over either, because Ziggler won the match after Summer Rae inadvertently hit Rusev with her own shoe, allowing Ziggler to pick up the win and um with you know along to roll up rusev and score the victory or hit the zigzag and pick up the victory not roll him up that came in the main event in the, in the uh, opener but yeah I thought it was a good match it's not the matches that bother me it's just the feud it sucks there's no reason for it to continue on if it's not over anything i'm hoping they do a double turn they have Summer Rae, um join dolph ziggler excuse me and then they have rusev go babyface and reunite with lana when she comes back That's the only possible good thing I could see coming out of this feud. Otherwise, why continue doing it? Maybe they don't have anything other for these two guys to do right now, but anything would be better than this. Um, This feud is just terrible. But to their credit, though, like I said, good match on Sunday. Ziggler wins. Unfortunately, though, it's not the end of the feud. So the next match, the Dudley Boys taking on the New Day for the WWE Tag Team Titles. Good match, it just never really felt like it left. It, it went to that next gear. And maybe that was done intentionally, they're having more matches. It's already been confirmed the rematch is set for the MSG special on October 3rd and for the WWE Tag Team titles on the line. So in the Dudley Boys' backyard and MSG, they could very well win those belts. That'd be a pretty cool moment. Um, and maybe they do their rematch at Hell in a Cell. I proposed a tables match in my latest column 4, Hidden Remote. But we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I thought this match was good. It's not that it was bad, but I feel like the biggest issue with this storyline right now, or at least with this feud right now, it's great we have two teams the fans care about, but then again, you think about it, it feels like it's the, the the combination of feud between two babyface duos. The Dudley boys are over. The fans love them. They love the table spots, whatever. The New Day, they just cheer for them like they're babyfaces. They give them the babyface reaction. It's just... It's I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, I don't really know what you could do. Maybe a double turn. Maybe at some point down the line you could do a double turn, like I said with uh, Rusev and, and uh, Swagger. Swagger uh, Yeah, right, uh, Ziggler. Maybe you could do a double turn with these two guys or these two teams, and maybe it'll get New Day over his heels. For right now, though, I'm just not buying it. They're so entertaining. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. I would rather them do this than do nothing at all or do what they were doing when they first started. The black, happy-go-lucky racist gimmick they were doing when they first came up as babyfaces last year. That was atrocious. Um, but, yeah, I feel like fans can't really connect with either team because they're both seen as, or portrayed, rather, I feel like is the best word for it, as babyfaces. And until the New Day tried to elicit heat, more than just calling out the crowd, they can do more stuff to be heelish, then we have a real tag team feud on our hands. But it's good to see the division is kind of getting back to where it once was with the return of the Dudleys, the New Day being as entertaining as they are and having good matches with them. But yeah, the match went to a no disqualification. It went to a disqualification after Xavier Woods got involved, went the match, uh, got the match thrown out by the referee, clung for the disqualification. Dudley boys win, but the uh, the New Day are still the WWE tag team champions. And afterwards, the Dudley boys laid out the new day with um, a table spot. So they sent the crowd home happier. They ended the crowd. Um, they ended the match on a happy note for the crowd. And um, a good match. I'm hoping for better matches. They had a, their match on Raw a couple of weeks ago is better than this. It's not that it was a bad match. It just never really felt like it left the first gear um, before they went and hit the 3D and the match was almost over. Good stuff, though, but I look forward to seeing how this feud progresses in the weeks to come. After that, we had the Divas Championship match with Nikki Bella defending against Charlotte. A good match. It had pretty good storytelling with Nikki Bella working over the knee of Charlotte the entire time. My only issue with the match is that Charlotte, she did a very good job. uh, To her defense, in her defense, she did a great job of feigning that knee injury, making me believe that it was real. Um, I was talking to RJ and a few other kids that we had over for the pay-per-view, and I'm like, I think she's legitimately hurt. Um, It looks like she is actually hurt, but then they kept on working over the knee, and she was fine, and... We saw the next night on Raw. So she did a very good job of acting. Charlotte, not a great talker, but when she cries and when she feigns in the injuries and stuff like that, feigns, you know, selling. When she sells, that's the word for it. Um, she does a very good job of that. Not a great actor, but when she does the crying and the selling, she's good at it. But anyway, um, the match was good. It's just that the entire time Nikki Bella was on offense for 99% of the match, and then Charlotte comes out of nowhere... With the uh, figure eight, not selling the knee injury, mind you. That's what she should have done. I feel like she, when she locked in the figure eight, um, Nikki Bella reverses it or something like that. Targets that knee, follows it up with a rack attack, wins the match, and still your Divas champion. Not because they want to see Nikki Bella still the Divas champion. I'm glad Charlotte won the belt. But they could have had more of a chase for the championship. She broke the record on Monday. She got the 300 days on Saturday. Loses the title on Sunday. So a big go, fuck you to AJ Lee. Um, but anyway, I thought it was a good match, cool moment, Charlotte finally gets her first Divas Championship, a long time coming, like I said, I feel like there should have been more of a chase, she should be champion as a heel, I'll talk about Paige's heel turn, hopefully after the Night of Champions review, if we have time, um, but yeah, I feel like it's a great step, in the. I feel like it's a great first step in the right direction for the Divas division to have, Someone who can work in that role. Now, again, I feel like Charlotte as Divas Champion should be a heel. That's where she worked best down in NXT. She got over as a face because people liked her work. They didn't like her mic skills. She's never been a great talker. She still needs to work on that. So hopefully, they can kind of limit her. I'm mean, gonna I hate to say that because I want to see the women get more mic time or at least limit what she says backstage. It just comes off so scripted. I don't know when when you see the videos of her on YouTube and stuff with like her father and she's talking about what the title means to her. She comes off very well. Uh, it's just the promos that she cuts backstage and in the rain that come off so badly. So hopefully um, she's not talking a lot as Divas Champion, or at least not as much as she was before during this whole Divas Revolution, as they're calling it. But yeah, good match. Charlotte, your new Divas Champion. Hopefully after this we can get some fresh feuds. I'll talk about Paige in a minute. You know what? I might as well talk about it now. Um, the Paige heel turn on Monday I thought was Fantastic. I thought it was great, so awesome. And not just because, oh, she trashed the Bella Twins. No, it's her delivery and because Paige is such, so great. Paige is so great at being a bitch. And I say that in the most respectful way possible. I mean, you look at her early character on NXT. That's where the whole anti diva persona came from, people. Because she was a bitch. She was a total brat. She's so great in that role. You see her on Tough Enough. Maybe that's not actually the way she acts. On, on Total Diva, she's fine. I can tolerate her. On Tough Enough, I hated Paige. She just came off like such a bitch. And I think the worst part is that she's a babyface on TV. She's so much more comfortable in the heel role. Um, she's over either way. But I feel like as a heel, though, she can finally just let the reins loose. Just let it all loose and just unleash her anger. Be much more aggressive in the ring. Will we see the return of the anti-diva page? Maybe. I mean, it, even if we do, it doesn't really matter. I would love to see it. I doubt it. Um, she's, she's still on total divas regardless. But I thought it was an awesome moment. I thought she should have done it out of Champions when she calls show the belt. Maybe she comes out the next minute and on Raw ranting and raving. But as much as, as much as I try to be positive about WWE, the women's wrestling, the divas division, whatever, I always have to address both sides of it. Um, again, I love being positive. That's kind of like my gimmick. But um, that's just the way I am. It's no gimmick. But that's a lot of people know me for just taking a positive spin on certain things in wrestling and life and whatever. But with the women, though, I do have to say this. We were all saying this, that we were on the edge of a revolution. We were on the verge of a revolution two years ago when AJ Lee almost did the same exact thing on that pipe bombshell, as people were calling it, on I think it might have been right after SummerSlam. And she cut that promo just destroying, ripping the total belt, ripping Total Divas Ripping the bellows, ripping Naomi and everyone else. It was awesome. But even AJ Lee said in other interviews that she did after that, they never really went all the way with it and never lived up to its full potential. They dropped it right afterwards. She was still a champion. She didn't lose a title for another fucking six months or something like that. But the promo itself had so much momentum, people were like, wow, that was a great promo. Let's see where they go with it after that. It led to some total divas versus non total divas bullshit for like three or four months. Then no one cared about it all. So hopefully this whole Paige thing does not lead to more of that. I don't want to see a repeat of 2013 all over again. Nor do I want to see Natalia join up with Charlotte and Becky. I, like I, you know, I'm not the only one to say this, but I've been saying this for weeks now. End the Faction Wars. The Faction Wars are what is killing this so-called Divas revolution. The women are great, but the Paige heel turn is a great starting point. On that same show on Monday, we had the return of Natalia. Even better. Great stuff. Wasn't happy she lost, but I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that they're trying to tell a story with her. And maybe she gets angry. She turns heel. I have no idea. And I don't want to see a Paige and Natalia heel tag team. I want to see people just be individuals. Even the Bella Twins. Separate them. Bray Bella, as a heel, can't stand her. Not because she's a great heel. Because she's not great. <laughs> um, she's so much better as a babyface. Break her off on her own as a babyface. Break off Fox. Break off Naomi and Sasha. Tamina couldn't get two shits about, but break her off too. Everyone, just have them go their separate ways. Just that's the way it's got to be. The Paige heel turn on Monday was a great launching pad for that. A great starting point, a great launching point for getting that division where it needs to be. Break them all off in a singles competition and just have them just do their thing. Paige as the heel is awesome. And having worked with Charlotte as a babyface champion Although the way I would not have booked her, I wouldn't have booked her that way. Um, I would have had her just be a heel champion. We have Paige as a heel though, so it's fine for right now. But having a strong heel and page to work with is only going to benefit Charlotte in the end. And you also throw in Nikki Bella for right now, do a triple threat of the pay-per-view. I like it. Just keep on going off of that and slowly but surely get away from these faction wars. So I enjoy the match on Sunday night. After that... We had, let me see here, we had, oh, the six-person tag team match. With the one and only person I interviewed at the start of the show, Chris Jericho being revealed as the mystery person, the mystery partner for Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, and taking on the Wyatt family. Good match. I enjoyed it. Jericho, very mixed reaction, mostly positive, but I've seen some people like, oh, Jericho again. I was hoping for The Rock. Really, people, you thought The Rock was going to show up to face the Wyatt family? The Wyatt family had the win. So if the Rock came back or fucking Jeff Hardy Goldberg, you name it, they would have had to lose anyway. Not they didn't have to get pinned, but their team was going to lose. And they should have lost. The Wyatt family should have won this match and they did. I was happy with that. Jericho perfect guy to have accept the challenge. It wasn't a fucking Eric Rowan, who I like. Eric Rowan, not a bad guy, would have been a massive disappointment though. So I'm glad it wasn't him. But it needed to be someone with credibility that could also put over the young guys. Boom, Jericho fits that to a T. It's not like oh he loses every single week, so he's a loser. No, he won a lot of matches the last few runs with WWE. I don't know where this this um where is this coming from that he that Jericho is a loser that all he does is lose matches. He beat Neville at um at the Beast in the East special. You look at his track record from the last time he was in WWE. He won every single fucking week. He lost to Randy Orton in his final match at WWE. He beat, I remember he beat uh, Rob Van Dam. He beat Seth Rollins. He beat Wade Barrett. Everyone beats Wade Barrett. But he beat Bray Wyatt at one point. He beat Kane. He beat everybody. He beat everybody that WWE had to offer on Raw and SmackDown. I'm pretty sure the guy was undefeated. He beat Wyatt. He beat Harper. He beat Roan. He beat everybody. So where is this coming from that Jericho is a loser? I mean, maybe you don't like Jericho because you think he's a company shill, which I still don't get, but whatever. Maybe I'm just biased because I'm a Jericho fan. I'm a Jericho-holic, but just even putting that aside, I think it's just bullshit that people are just like, oh, he's a company shill. He's a disappointment. It was a disappointment he showed up. If it was disappointing to you, then I'm sorry, but I loved it. I thought it was a very cool surprise. I avoided all dirt cheats before the pay-per-view, so it was a cool surprise for me and the perfect guy to put over the Wyatt family. Ambrose shouldn't have gotten pinned here. Reigns should not have gotten penned here Jericho, perfect guy to take a loss It establishes Braun Strowman as a credible monster And afterwards, Jericho, Ambrose and Reigns All teasing tension when Jericho uh, Ambrose and Reigns confront Jericho after the match And instead of saying anything at all He just walks off and bumps shoulders with um, Dean Ambrose on his way out And he tagged in Roman Reigns He made the hot tag, Roman Reigns was like Why did you do that? So obviously planting the seeds for a heel turn in the near future. Now Jericho said on his podcast today that um, he's not going to be on Raw. He was not on Raw on Monday night, nor will he be for the near, very near future. Maybe he's lying. Jericho is known to do that in the past when it comes to kind of um, you know hiding the truth. Not just because he's a liar, but because he doesn't want to ruin a good surprise. But from what it seems like with all the tours he has coming up with Fozzie and whatever else... That he is telling the truth, and he will not be on WWE TV for a while. But, like he said, the seeds were planted. Those were the exact words he used in his podcast today. And um, it looks like we might be finally getting a heel Jericho again, which is awesome. He's a great babyface. He's even a better heel. And it's funny, too, because when... Back in 2012, I think it might have been, when rumors started going around that he was going babyface, I was like, oh, no, don't turn this guy babyface. He's such a great heel. And now in recent years, when it looks like he's going to go heel, now I'm saying, oh, no, don't turn this guy heel. He's such a great babyface. You know, it's funny. Because he plays both roles so well. And um, as a heel, the guy is money. Take my money right now. Like I said, I was watching the Night of Champions 2010 show on Saturday. And he got this great promo, like the Parasite Talk, Maybe he'll switch up the character a bit. Maybe he won't do that that exact same um, shtick when he's like ripping into the fans, calling them parasites and all this other stuff. Maybe he won't do that exactly, but heel Jericho is awesome, and I'm hoping to see it. (laughs) I'm just laughing thinking about it because he's going to be great as a heel again. But I'm looking forward to seeing what he does when he comes back and hopefully does lead to a feud with Dean Ambrose or Roman Reigns or whoever. An Ambrose-Jericho feud is money. Total money. On the mic, in the ring, take my money right now. Even a Roman Reigns feud, it's something new. Jericho and Reigns is something new. Jericho is a huge proponent of Roman Reigns. Um, he was defending him after he won the Ray Rumble this year, so I'm sure he would put him over. And the matches could be good too. If anyone could get a great match out of Roman Reigns, it's Jericho. And Roman Reigns has improved a lot as an in-ring worker this year against guys like Brock Lesnar, Bray Wyatt, even the fucking Big Show. As much as I hate the Big Show, they had a pretty damn good match at Extreme Rules this year. You know? So I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully Heal Jericho resurfaces on WWE programming in the near future. I am so looking forward to it. I feel like it's going to be so great. I'm seeing Heel Jericho back for the first time in almost three or four years. It's going to be money, I'm telling you. So after that, we had the two main events for the United States and WWE World Heavyweight Championships. Just kind of brief thoughts on this. I don't want to spend too much time. We're kind of running out of time anyway. Um, and Raw wasn't really too, too noteworthy, so I won't really go on a full review of that, nor do we have time. Um, but yeah, for the main events of Night of Champions, Cena and Rollins, another quality match from the two, as expected. They've never had a bad match with each other. Um, kind of the same spots. I mean, the match on Monday was more of a retread than the one on Sunday was. The one on Sunday I thought was really good. They kind of made it feel more like a sequel than it was a, uh, a rematch or a retread like we saw on Monday. The one on Sunday I thought was very, very good. A lot of cool reversals. I thought they did a very good job of putting forth a strong performance. But in the end, though, it was John Cena emerging victorious, the new United States champion in clean fashion. A lot of people were mad at that, and I, understandably so. I mean, maybe they should have had Kane come out. I mean, they had Kane return at the end, but I thought John Cena winning clean was completely fine. Um, I mean, there was no reason to have Seth Rollins. I mean, he could have retained the U.S. title here, but John Cena was a great U.S. champion earlier this year with the U.S. Open stuff. Had no issue with it. I did take take exception, however, to him delivering an attitude adjustment to Cena, or to Rollins, rather, after the match for no apparent reason. Rollins was just on his way out, and Cena just randomly delivers an AA to him. He could have just thrown him back in the ring. That kind of felt a little unnecessary, um, especially considering Rollins had another match right after this. And Cena won. It's not like he's a sore loser, so that kind of made no sense. But the match was good. Cena's the United States champion. No problem with it. Rollins retained his... um, Excuse me, his his WWE Heavyweight Championship anyway, so it's not a huge deal. But um, very good match from those two. The main event between Seth Rollins and Sting, very good match. A lot better than I thought it would be. Um, It's going to be hit or miss more often than not with Sting. In terms, I mean, the guy's fifty-six years old. What are we expecting? I mean, it's not. It wasn't an instant classic. I would not rank this match amongst the best of the year. But it was a lot better than I thought it would be. If there's any guy to get a great match out of Sting, it's Seth Rollins, and I thought he did so here. They took some crazy bumps. I'm telling you, the the commentary table bump when Sting went to the Spanish commentary table. And back first, didn't take the monitors off or anything. So probably hit his head in the back of a monitor. I don't know if he was concussed or what, but he hurt his back in the buckle bomb spot. They did shortly thereafter that. So Sting was fucked up by the end of this match. Like legitimately, not even storyline speaking, he was legitimately fucked up. Um, That's why he was not on Raw the next night. But anyway, though, um, yeah, I thought this was a very good match. Sting got a, I um, I thought he looked great. Not even just in the ring, but I thought physically he looked great. Um, without the shirt on, very, very good. So he definitely did get himself in. He did. He definitely did get himself in shape in time for SummerSlam Slam, and kept that physique going going into the Night of Champions. I just don't know why they had him wear a shirt on Raw. Uh, what, what was the point of that? But anyway, um, he had a good match. I thought it was a good showing. Some people are ca- calling this a train wreck. It was awful. I mean, I could see where you're coming from with that, but I thought it was a good match for the time they had, and they also kind of had to make up for Sting getting injured at the end. The guy's 56. Again, you have to be careful with him. Some of the spots were a little unnecessary, but it did add to the match, I will admit. The Buckle Bomb spot and the commentary spot, commentary table spot, I thought were greatly added to the match. Maybe not as necessary with a guy that's 56 years old and it's on the verge of breaking down, but still, good stuff. Sting, in the end, getting beaten clean by Seth Rollins. was. It was not made up. It wasn't a... um. An impromptu finish because Sting got hurt. That was the planned finish. So if they were going to go with something else like Sting winning the championship, they would have had him win. Trust me, they would have had him win. Like they, That did not stop them from having Austin. I mean, I know it was a different time in 1997, but that did not stop them from having Austin win the Intercontinental Championship in um, at SummerSlam 1997 when he broke his neck in the middle of the fucking ring. Sure, he lost the title. shortly afterwards they took the title off of him, but he was still champion. They weren't going to change the result. Just because someone broke their neck, not a big deal. You know what I mean, though. They're not going to—they might if it's super serious, but um, even here, if Sting was going to win, he would have won. It did go as planned. Rollins gets a big win, and people were very up in arms about Sting losing. Again, always 0-2 on pay-per-view. Here's the thing. Sting is an attraction. Oh, people were also saying, oh, this is why he never came over because they were going to book him like shit. He's not going around prancing around like a clown. WWE has done a fine job with Sting. Now, I agree he should have won at WrestleMania. I absolutely 100% agree he should have beaten Triple H at WrestleMania. To this day, none of us, myself included, have zero idea. We have not the slightest clue as to why Triple H won that match. I still have no idea. But, that said, Sting is not ruined. Even with this loss, he said himself in interviews, he is not here to cement his legacy in WWE. He came here because he was ready for the next step in his career, finally do what he said he set out to do, and um, go to the one place he never went to, and that being WWE. Now, he's not here, again, to cement his legacy. He's here to further the future, and that's why he put over Rollins on Sunday night. Now, Sting, Triple H, like I said, is not the future. That's why he should have won on um, at WrestleMania. But on Sunday... Totally agree with with Rollins winning. If Sting won, would have been happy. Would have been cool to see Sting with one, uh, even if a brief, albeit brief reign as WWE champion, it still would have happened. It would have been cool to see. But Rollins wins. No complaints from me. Gets a clean win, a credible victory, and then you have him lose clean to John Cena the next night, which kind of defeated the purpose. But anyway, that was cool. Liked that match. Enjoyed the finish. I thought it was fine. Sheamus comes out afterwards. Lays out Rollins with a bro kick. Attempts to cash in his Money to the Bank briefcase, and then comes out the returning Kane, who lays out Sheamus and also chokeslam Seth Rollins. So Kane is back, masked Kane, that is, and corporate Kane also returned on Monday, so they're going to be doing some mind games between Rollins and Kane in the weeks to come, which should be pretty fun. Um, But I thought that was good. I like the finish of the show. Kane is back in the mask, and that's when he's at his best, in my opinion. I know he's been booked to look like a loser in recent years, but... Hopefully, this is his last hurrah on top. He goes out on top. He doesn't have to win the WWE Championship, but it's an easy win for Rollins. It's the perfect title match to be holding in the main event um, at at Hell in a Cell because that won't be the main event. Lesnar and Undertaker should be anyway. And then you could put Rollins and Kane right below that. So, I think it's perfect. It's not like it's Rollins and Triple H and it's not the main event. It It doesn't need to be. Rollins and Kane is not a main event match. Taker and Lesnar is. So, I feel like that's the... Perfect place to be doing that match. Is that Hell in the Cell? Maybe not necessarily inside the Cell. I don't feel like it's necessary. But it's an easy win for Rollins. Retained his title before going on to face Triple H, hopefully at Survivor Series. So on the whole, enjoyed Night of Champions. Very good show in my opinion. I thought it was a great show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Raw the next night, not as good. It had its moments. Big show squashing Cesaro. Not a fan. Like I said, I thought that was bullshit. The women got a lot of time. I thought they took a, a big step in the right direction with the women on this show. The six-man tag team match, the rematches from Night of Champions were not too, like, oh, great. You know, it was like, oh, why do them again? The six-man tag team match, Cena and Rollins kind of felt like a retread. Good match, felt like a retread, though. Hopefully that's the last time we see them face off for a while. And um, that was about it. The rest of the show was kind of inconsequential. In the opening of the show, too, Ambrose and Orton making his return and Roman Reigns... Facing off against the Wyatt family and just the massive brawl. They just brawled with each other. A Refreshing opening to the show. And it looks like Randy Orton will be getting involved in this Wyatt family drama with um, Ambrose and Reigns going forward. So that should be pretty cool um, in the weeks to come. They did advertise Sting for the start of Raw. Teasing a major announcement. Didn't come to fruition. I didn't think it would. I, feel like, I didn't feel like Sting was going to be on the show regardless. They got the, my hopes up. I'm like, oh, maybe Sting didn't go home after all. Um, but I don't believe the reports that oh Sting went home, TMZ report and then WWE didn't know about it. Like it's it's fucking WWE. They're obviously going to give him the go ahead to go home. So why would they post that? I know the announcement was up for no more than 15 minutes apparently, but you don't tease it in the first place. Don't you, you know even if they, there's a slight chance that Sting won't be on the program, don't advertise him. Don't advertise him in the case that it doesn't happen like it didn't on Monday night. Don't advertise him. It's the same thing with Undertaker from right after WrestleMania 30. Reminded me of that same exact situation. I'm pretty sure at some point, it wasn't as concrete as it was this time, but it could have sworn at some point on Monday that they teased Undertaker for appearing on Raw, but didn't happen because he was still injured from WrestleMania. That's the same exact thing that happened with Sting. I don't feel like his career is over, or at least I hope it's not, and we can get one more match out of him where he does win on pay-per-view finally at WrestleMania, maybe against Undertaker or against... I don't even know. Bray Wyatt, I doubt it. Hopefully Bray Wyatt wins at WrestleMania next year after going 0-2 on the big stage. I digress. Um, But I don't think it's the end of his career. Great performance on Sunday. He will rebound, but he just got to take some time off and he will be back, hopefully, at some point in um, early 2016. I mean, there's no reason to bring him back unless he wrestles that Survivor Series. So maybe we see him back on the road to WrestleMania. And um, that would be his big storyline. Maybe have one final match at WrestleMania, then he calls it a career and wins in his final match, hopefully, um, before... Uh, calling it a career in WWE. And that's going to do it for today's WrestleRent Radio for September 22nd, 2015. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for checking out the Jericho interview. And hopefully you enjoyed my analysis of Net of Champions and Raw as well. We'll be back next Tuesday live, every single Tuesday. Of course, last night was the exception. could not go live due to technical difficulties. But we will be back live on EC Radio next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central, with Jay Leto talking all about Raw and everything else going on in the world of wrestling at live365.com backslash stations backslash ectv73. And, of course, you guys can check me out on Twitter at wrestlerant on Facebook at facebook.com backslash on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash matthews and also this very website, nextairwrestling.net, for full reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Main Event Superstars, Teen Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, NXT, and everything else in between. Like I said, we'll be back next Tuesday for a 4 review of, of Monday Night Raw and everything else going on in the world of wrestling next week. Maybe some other thoughts on the Eric Bischoff podcast with JBL. Looking forward to it. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy the first day of fall today on the 23rd. I'm Graham Houston Matthews, and I'll catch you guys down the road.